welcome to episode 29 of the Burning Bush Podcast, where we share the message of the Bible while enjoying a good cigar. Hope everybody's doing well, and thanks for stopping by this week. And I am enjoying a good cigar, uh, another one of my favorites this week, and I want to change things up. It is the Drew Estate Kentucky Fire Cured. Uh, if you haven't tried one of these, it's got uh, a smoky flavor. Since they cure the uh, tobaccos in barns with fire pots um, smoldering, that's how they cure the tobacco. So let me go ahead and uh, what I'm going to do is I'll leave a, a link to in the show notes to the Drew Estate website, but I'm going to go to Cigars International to read a description because, frankly, they don't have much information on the Drew Estate website other than the sizes of the cigars. So I'm going to read from the uh, Cigars International page. It says, generally speaking, the offerings in the Drew Estate portfolio are pretty unique. That has a lot to do with why the brand is so damn popular to begin with. But now this latest line extension to Mawat, which is uh, my Uzi weighs a ton line, has taken things to a whole new level, taste-wise. This phrase gets thrown around a lot, but this time it couldn't be more accurate. You've never tasted anything like this before. The biggest difference with Kentucky Fire Cured is the inclusion of, you guessed it, American Fire Cured tobacco leaves from Kentucky and Virginia. While normally tobacco is air cured, these special leaves are left to hang in specially constructed curing barns, a process that dates back more than 200 years and that imbues each leaf with a rich, smoky, slightly sweet flavor that boasts exceptional balance and uniqueness. Notes of oak, hickory, and maple-laced sweetness explode on the palate. These leaves are joined by Nicaraguan and Brasilia Matafina long fillers, along with an oily San Andres Maduro wrapper. This finished product is like nothing else on the market. Been looking for a totally uncommon taste experience that'll blow your hair back? You just found it. So that's the uh, description from Cigars International. And it's a, the profile is a medium uh, strength. The uh, wrapper is, of course, Kentucky Fire Cured. Um, the filler is Kentucky Fire Cured, Nicaraguan, and United States from Kentucky and Virginia. And I'll go back to the Drew Estate website and read the sizes. There are eight different sizes that this comes from, or that this comes in. Uh, the Flying Pig, which is a four, four and an eighth by 60. The Delphinus is a six by 26. Kyotos is a five and a half by 34. Hamhock, three and three quarters by 56. Just a Friend, which is when I'm smoking, the Toro size, six by 52. The Fat Molly, five by 56. Chunky, four by 46. And the Kentucky Fire Cured Ponies, uh, are four by thirty-two. Those are those come in a tin. Those are very small, like cigarillos. So that is the Drew Estate Kentucky Fire Cured. If you haven't experienced these, I would highly recommend you do, um, because again, it, it's like nothing you've ever tasted before. And if you want to change things up, it's a really nice uh, alternative to uh, your normal everyday cigars. So let's go ahead and get into uh, the last section of chapter 7 of What Does God Want by Dr. Mike Heiser. The section is entitled, 
what the gospel isn't. Our discussion about the content of the gospel makes it clear that the gospel is about what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Everlasting life, salvation, is a gift given to those who believe in what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. Our culture tries to muddle this clarity. It offers self-improvement or vague spirituality as substitutes. But the biblical description of the gospel defies such things. The gospel and salvation has nothing to do with personal enlightenment, looking within on a journey of self-discovery. The gospel is not about exploring ideas from a spiritual smorgasbord. These are intellectual or psychological efforts and activities. They aren't the gospel. But these sorts of alternative gospels are the easy ones to detect and eliminate. There's a much more difficult hurdle that impedes many people from resting in the simplicity of the salvation God offers. I suggested earlier that a lot of people you'd meet in church struggle with the gospel. The reason is because they are caught in a performance trap. You or someone you know may be able to define the term gospel and perhaps even the content of its meaning. But the idea that believing what Jesus did for you is the sum total of what's necessary for everlasting life just doesn't seem right. Surely we have to do something. Otherwise, how could we deserve it? If you comprehend the Bible's story and the content of the gospel, you should grasp immediately that we don't deserve what God offers. And that's a struggle for many people. We want to feel like we've earned the good things we have. We don't want to be a charity case. It feels wrong to get something good without having worked for it, at least a little. Guilt distorts thinking in even more subtle ways. It can paralyze our ability to see the gospel as the unconditional gift it is. Guilt is what drives some people to justify a gift by concluding it's deserved because of something they did for the gift giver at some point. And if they can't convince themselves of that, they determine to do something after the fact to make themselves feel deserving of the gift. Guilt blinds us to the love of God shown in the gospel. Ultimately, we must come to grips with how self-centered this thinking is. That may sound harsh, but hear me out. Working hard to make someone else think you have value requires you to focus on yourself. You can't be focused on someone else when the goal is to make another person think you are worthy of their attention or love. We want to feel good about ourselves, i.e., we legitimately deserved something so we aren't taking what doesn't belong to us. We also want others to feel that way about us too, i.e., we want others to give us something because of the way we make them feel about us. The gospel strips this away and casts it aside. It exposes us, demanding naked humility. It insists the focus be entirely on God and Jesus. That's why it's a hard pill to swallow for so many. It doesn't let us take any credit. What it comes down to is that the gospel cares nothing about what you do but cares everything about who you already are. You're human, 
You are the object of God's love and plan from the very beginning. None of that requires performance. It just is. Because we're sinners living in a fallen world, we're locked into thinking no one would love us if they really knew us completely, inside and out. Consequently, we can't imagine God loving us since there's nothing about us that escapes his attention. He knows every thought, word, impulse, and deed. The guilt that creates within us and the normalcy of our conditional relationships make the unfiltered love of God for us in the gospel hard to accept. From our perspective, it doesn't make sense. I should say at this point that I'm not suggesting that people who hear the true gospel and embrace it with all sincerity aren't really saved. I honestly believe that they believe and are in the family of God. What I'm describing is the soul-crushing internal life many of those believers are still living. Their guilt has transformed the love and grace of the gospel into a performance-centered, merit-based experience. They begin to wonder if God still loves them like he did the moment they understood the gospel and believed it. They look at the sins they commit as believers as reasons for God to be unenthused and ambivalent toward them. They're convinced they can't measure up to God's expectations and wonder if they believed enough or perhaps didn't really believe at all when they thought they did. The sad truth is that many genuine Christians live tormented, defeated lives, not because of the gospel, but because of the way their guilt has distorted the clarity of the gospel. When they read scripture, they see only their sins and failures. Every sermon is an indictment, and shame on preachers who preach with that as their main intention. The spectacular wonder of the story gets lost and forgotten. Salvation is not about performance. It never was, never will be, and never can be. We can do nothing to put ourselves at the level of God to make ourselves fit for His presence. We lack God's perfect nature. We are like God, created to image Him, but by definition we are less than God, and God knows it. That's why His solution was Jesus, not you. It's absurd to think we can bridge that gap or fill that void by doing this or doing that. God never learns anything new about you when you fail. He's known you all along and still loved you right where you were and are. Romans 5.8 says it best. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you catch that? While we were still sinners... You do not need to perform at a sufficient level to prod God into loving you. If you give that some thought, it's really good news. God is never disappointed with you because he never has false expectations of your behavior. God has loved you all along. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 We can boil this down to two thoughts. Salvation, membership in God's family, 
cannot be earned. It can only be received by faith, belief. God offers it because he is gracious and loving. There is no other reason, nor can there be. And that is the end of chapter 7 of Mike Kaiser's book, What Does God Want? Next time we'll begin in chapter 8, which is part 3 of the book, entitled Following Jesus. So I know a couple weeks ago I mentioned that Dr. Heiser was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and uh, we're certainly keeping him in prayer here, him and his family, and hope you would do the same. And uh, check out the show notes for links to all of Mike's stuff, his uh, Awakening School of Theology, Naked Bible Podcast, all of his books, as well as uh, links to the Cigar for This Week and uh, Steve Wiggins' new ministry called Groundworks Ministries for a daily devotion and Bible study. And of course, again, the Burning Bush Podcast merchandise shop. If you'd stop by there and uh, take a look around, see if there's something you'd like to pick up, help out the podcast, I'd sure appreciate that as well. So until next week, have a great day, have a great cigar, and God bless. Mm -hmm.